maybe the worst opening bit yet of the entire series. Just making goat noises. Uh, but that's where we're at in PH5 Worlds, you know? Uh, just finding new and exciting ways to spice it up on a month-by-month -month basis. And this month, the, uh, the, uh, the call was the goat noises. I guess we can call it that. Um, hello. Uh, this is PH5, and, uh, this is Phil from PH5 saying hello. Um, how we doing? I'm, I'm doing okay. You know, I'm sitting here, and I'm looking at some sunshine. You gotta love that, right? You gotta love looking at some sunshine. Uh, except it was snowing yesterday, too. Um, yeah. It's like, uh, yesterday was April Fool's, you know? So, uh, the weather was like, uh, oh yeah, you think it's spring, eh? Yeah. Freaking April Fool's on you guys. Uh, God is good. God is good that time. Um, we are in the third episode of 2022 on the uh, music podcast that just kind of keeps going. Last month we had the esteemed Mr. Mancuti on to uh, share his thoughts on the Animal Collective record. So thank you once again to Matt for joining the show. Had a great chat. Love the guy. Miss him very much. Uh... You know, he, he, he's rocking shit down in the hammer. You gotta respect him for that. This is going to be, uh, an, uh, old classic style of PH5. No guests. Um, just me. Just plain old Phil. And we are going to talk about some albums. Sounds about right, am I right? Uh, that's what you came for. Baby, this is what you came for. PH5. Um, yeah, I've had some coffees, so, surprise, you can probably tell. Why don't we just go ahead and, uh, start, you know? I'm not really talking about much of anything right now, so, I'm not gonna waste any more of your time, or my time. Let's do some PH5. So, thank you once again for joining us, um, us here being like the royal us, I guess. Uh... It is March. This is episode 3 of season 2 of PH5. Well, it's April now, but we're talking about March. <laughs> okay, I need to shut up and just start the show. So, here we are. Yeah, okay. Kind of just, uh, you know, thwocked myself up the head a few times to get my brain in order here. We're ready to get her done. So, coming in at number five for March 2022, we have the sophomore effort by Vane FM. Although no one calls him that, they're still just Vane. Uh, this world's gonna ruin you. Ain't that freaking right, eh? I mean, geez. They know what's up. Um, so. This is kind of an interesting one. I, I really struggled to uh, kind of figure out where I wanted to place this record this month. Uh, to be honest with you, it almost landed in the dishonorable mentions category. Allow me to explain. So, Vane's first record, Error Zone, um, which came out in, I think it was 2017 or 2018, was like an instant classic record. Um, just like kind of 
ushered in a new wave of almost futuristic metalcore that wasn't afraid to toy with almost cheesy, campy sounds like new metal and, um, you know, sampling Amen breaks and, and, and all that kind of stuff. It's the kind of record that you just don't really hear a lot of, well, you didn't at that time hear a lot of sounds like it anymore these days. Um, kind of a style popularized almost by, like, Slipknot, if you will, back in the late 90s. Um, but everyone kind of thought that stuff is uncool, but Vane came back and made it cool again, and they also integrated a lot of really futuristic production techniques into the record, and, and anyway, the album was incredible. It came out right at a, at a time that I was like, like a gym nerd, going to the gym like every day, and this was like my go-to gym record for the longest time, because it had so much energy, um, so many amazing catchy riffs, the production was just so cool and unlike anything I, I, I'd really heard at the time. And it just became, honestly, one of my favorite records. Uh, I, I still go back to that record all the time. And I, I did a little, like, check on my Twitter the other day. And I've made, like, 14 tweets being like, we need new vein music now. So it was, uh, I've been, I've been thirsty for this shit big time, okay? Um... Like, a new Vein album is just looking to me like a refreshing Mountain Dew after a long run. Um, I don't actually drink Mountain Dews after a run, but I'm thinking about it, and I think it would be a pretty refreshing experience. I'll try it sometime. But yeah, I think you get the idea. I've been clamoring for a new Vein record for a long time, and they released, like, a remix album in 2020. Which I think should be a testament to the fact of how interesting Vane is as a band. Uh, the fact that they're a metalcore band able to release a remix album of their songs. Just kind of gives you a taste of what makes them special. Um, and what kind of sets them apart from a lot of the other heavy bands out there. So, we finally got it this year. Um, this album was released this month. It's called This World Is Going To Ruin You. And... It was technically recorded in 2020, but it's been shelved for a long time, because of the pandemic, of course. And I think Vane was really... They're like a live band, like a legendary live act, and just how like crazy and chaotic their shows are. So I think the live performance aspect is really important for them to be able to pair with the studio record release. And so, yeah, two years after it was recorded, we finally got it, and here it is. And so, the reason why I have been toying with the idea of putting it on the Dishonorable Mentions is because the first record that I was talking about, Error Zone, has just such an important place um, kind of in my library right now. It really has become one of my all-time favorites. So, I, I mean, this it, this is this always happens. I think there's been several instances of this podcast alone of records that I've just kind of gotten too excited for that they haven't possibly been able to live up to the hype and expectations that I have for them. And this is definitely the case for this record. Um, it's it's a it's a different beast than Arizona for sure. 
Um, Arizona, again, basically starts out with an amen break, which gives you an idea of kind of like the fun, playful nature of the record. Um, there are so many memorable riffs and like super heavy sections and the whole thing is just an incredibly memorable experience. And the one kind of issue, well, there's a few issues I have with this record, but the most kind of striking one for me is that it's hard for me to really remember the bulk of this album. Um, instead of kind of having clear-cut songs that stand out from one, each other, one from another and really memorable riffs that uh, kind of latch onto your mind, this whole thing is kind of this like ugly, twisted mess. Um, it, 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 it all kind of bleeds together except for the last two songs which are by far the most different and longest songs in Vane's discography. And you're, you're kind of left with this like gnarled bramble of a record that isn't intent on being catchy per se and isn't intent on, you know, fun riffs and, and, and just like heavy for the sake of heaviness. Um, it's definitely a bleak, dark, ugly album. Um, and again, I'll talk a little bit about why this is a good thing in a minute, but I just, again, I wanted to kind of focus on the bad things first, because it really was a struggle for me to determine where I wanted to place this. Um, but then I also want to explain why I, I kept it in the top five and, and didn't end up giving it that dishonorable mention spot. Uh, the production on this album is terrible. Uh, the mix is just bad. Um, everything just kind of sounds really just kind of blended together and it's, it's really hard to pick out distinct things from one another. It, it, it's, it's terribly mixed and I know that it's not on purpose. If it is intentional, okay, maybe sure I'll give you a few artistic points for that. But I really don't think it is. It just kind of sounds really muddled and garbled and um, yeah, like nothing really comes through very cleanly. And I think the mix is ultimately the thing that brings this album down the most and makes it kind of the most disappointing. Because again, with Arizona, every single badass part was so clear and, and, and concise and just so easy to stick in your brain for, for weeks. But again, this, because of the production is so weird and like muddy, like it, it makes it even harder to kind of latch on to individual moments in the record. And hey, I'm a moments guy. You know, I like my, my, my standout moments. I'm the kind of guy who will like replay a specific five seconds in a song over and over and over again, just to kind of feel that euphoria that that specific moment gives you. And you can't really do that on this album because there are no great moments because the whole thing is kind of this muddy, disturbing mess. So that's a shame. Um, the fact that there's no real memorable riffs or, or standout highlight songs necessarily, also a shame. So why is it still here in my top five? Uh, well, the fact of the matter is um, a disappointing record by this band is still 
a pretty damn good album, and despite all of my kind of issues that I have with this record, I've still listened to it a ton, and I definitely still enjoy it. I, I, I still love listening to this record. Yeah, it's a, it's a letdown from Arizona for sure. Um, it's, it's, it's disappointing in that I've been waiting like four or five years for this album to come out, and it finally did, and it's not nearly as good as I wanted it to be. But it's still pretty damn cool. I mean, I, you know, kind of talk about how it's disappointing, how it's not as catchy or memorable, but at the same time, I, I do respect their decision to make this darker, uglier, weirder record than what came before. Um, these are dark, ugly, weird times that we're currently in, so it, it I mean, it makes sense to me. And uh, that also once kind of brings me to my last point, which I briefly touched on before, the last two songs on the album. So, these two songs see Vane kind of making almost traditional-esque, like, emo-core kind of songs. There's a lot of um, clean vocals, there are some actual, like, vocal hooks in these songs. Um, the last song is just voice and piano for the first little while, with uh, that kind of recurring piano motif throughout the entire thing. And it shows that Vane is willing to grow and experiment and kind of mature away from this, we're just a bunch of kids looking to make the most sick, badass music we can. Um, it's a little, it's more serious, you know, and it shows them kind of developing into a more mature type of band. Does this leave, you know, you wanting a little bit of that youthful energy and that youthful like, fuck it, let's make a new metal chorus and breakdown. Yeah, of course. I mean, we're always going to miss that stuff, but we'll always have Error Zone to go back to, to kind of relish that energy and that attitude that they brought on that record. This is the sound of a band that's, you know, growing up and, and, and realizing that life isn't just, you know, badass shows every night. Life is hard and, and complicated and ugly and weird. And they've made a hard, complicated, ugly, and weird album to reflect that. And I respect that. And again, it, it's still a solid record. It's just, it's just different. So that's why it's here in my top five. I still really enjoy it. I've listened to it a ton. Um, it's not Arizona, you know? And it's kind of my own fault for wanting and almost expecting another Arizona. That's, that's silly. I've set myself up to fail by having those expectations. Come on, Phil, you fucking idiot. You should know better by now not to do it, but I still do it. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. So, uh, coming in at number five for March 2022, we have Vane FM, fuck the FM, with This World's Going to Ruin You. And I'm going to call this for my ridiculous made-up genre of the day, which I know I said last episode that I had, like, prepared some beforehand, and I was ready to go with them. I didn't do it this time. I don't know why I keep doing this to myself, um, putting me in these awkward situations where I have to come up with something on the spot, but, uh, that's just the way it goes, I guess. So, the ridiculous made-up genre of the day is going to be... Bramble Metal. 
Sure. All right. Yeah. Let's go with that. Bramble metal. Okay. So, coming in at number four for March twenty twenty two is the latest record from Jenny Vall, uh, Classic Objects. Um, so you know, like spheres. Cubes, um, pyramids, cylinders, um, squares. No, squares are shapes. Can a shape be an object? Does an object have to be 3D? Wow. See, this is the kind of thought-provoking stuff that Jenny Haval brings to the table with all of her albums. Um, although, no, admittedly, this, this record is not about, um, defining, uh, spheres. Uh, it, it's about love and life and all those other classic objects that exist. And this is definitely my favorite Jenny Ball record yet. Um, I'd say by a long shot. I got into her probably about a decade ago or so with her album, um, Innocence is Kinky. Which is, uh, you know, an interesting thought. And ever since then, it, I don't know, it just hasn't quite hit for me. She's kind of dabbled in this kind of, like, indie art singer-songwriter with a lot of spoken word passages thing that I kind of tend to more respect more than I actually enjoy listening to. But this album sees her making easily the most um, inviting and accessible music that she's made to this day. Uh, there aren't really any spoken word sections in here. Well, there's like, like kind of one or two, but you don't really notice them because they're surrounded by so much beauty of the music. And for the most part, the album is fairly straightforward in terms of, you know, there are verses and choruses and um, their hooks and you know clear-cut melodies but with Jenny you know things are never gonna be that clear-cut um, she always finds ways to uh, subvert your expectations um, whether it's lyrically like you can be listening to a song that seems to be straightforward it seems like a straightforward pop song you know and you're singing along then all of a sudden she talks about um, the industrial happiness complex, you know, and you're like singing along, you're like, oh, industrial happiness complex, and you're like, whoa, like, did I just say that in like a pop song? So yeah, she's, she's very good at kind of contorting pop music into her own image. She's always been, um, and I say this in a nice way, very highbrow with their subject matter, you know, talking about um, democracy and uh, sexual identity and feminism in all of her works um, but never before has she approached the subject matter so kind of like comfortingly and, 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 and has made her art so easy to listen to um, across the album she employs lots of great hooks and lots of great melodies and it's, it's interesting because 
it's her definitely her most straightforward album and most successful album but you take a look at the lengths of some of these songs and some of them stretch into the seven or eight minute mark um she's just really good at again like i said contorting this idea of pop music and accessible music into her own image uh it reminds me a lot of artists like bjork or um one of my all-time favorites julia halter who aren't afraid of melody um and and you know use it as a very big tool in their arsenal but also aren't afraid of being experimental and and trying new ideas and and you know unique song structures and unique instrumentation um while still making music that's just easy to listen to and you know music that you can sit down and read along the lyrics and you know kind of do a dissertation on the topics that she's talking about or you can just put it on in the background and just kind of vibe out to the great melodies and and you know really really um organic and you know comforting sounds that she's brought forth on this album so i think it's a it's a huge step in the right direction for her she's made cut out quite the career for herself at this point and the fact that she's like seven or eight albums in and is just now in my opinion making the best music of her career just shows what a great artist she is and i think it bodes really well for the future i mean if she continues down this path um she can possibly see herself having some crossover success while still maintaining that artistic integrity that's obviously so important to her so coming in at number four we have jenny haval with classic objects and I'm going to, for the ridiculous made-up genre of the day, I'm going to call this one Dissertation Pop. Why not, right? Sounds like a drink. Yeah, I'll have a roti and a Dissertation Pop. Okay, fun stuff. So... Coming in at number three for March 2022. Uh, uh, we have the latest record by Oso Oso called Sore Thumb. Um, okay, so this is... This is almost kind of a hard one to talk about. So, Oso Oso, a.k.a. Uh, Jade Lilletree made my favorite record of 2019 was it 2019 <laughs> 2019 I think uh, with Basking in the Glow which was a record that I was really not expecting to love as much as I did um, it's kind of like a, an indie emo record with songs about hope and positivity and all this kind of stuff generally things that don't necessarily appeal to me but this man's songwriting is just so good that I, I it was completely irresistible to me and I listened to this record so much and at the time I was just kind of it came out in the summer I was having a rough summer um 
and yeah i i just needed almost this kind of positive light that uh that basking in the glow brought so it was really helpful and i i still go back to that record all the time just a, a great amazing slice of indie uh indie emo songwriting and so it's been a while since uh osa osos kind of made any noise kind of went quiet for a while um oh also another aside so I think one of the most transcendent moments that I've had in my life at a concert happened at uh, the Oso Oso concert. Um, he was just playing his song, The View, which I think is like literally one of the best songs ever made. And it was in Sneaky D's, which is kind of like a small club here in Toronto. And we were there seeing it. And you know, everyone, it, was, it was a pretty packed show for a smaller venue. This was before COVID, so I wasn't freaking out about the fact that so many people were there. And he started playing the song, and, you know, the energy in the room just felt so good. And then when he hit the chorus, every single person in this small club sang along with the chorus, like, from the bottom of their hearts, it felt like. And... It was this crazy experience where my voice was kind of connected to all the other voices in there and we like, it was like this ultimate energy synergy and it was just pure euphoria to feel that. Um, truly one of those like, the magic of live music moments. Um, just really special stuff. Anyway, just, just to kind of give you a sense of like, my connection to this band and uh, to this guy's songs like pretty important stuff to me so he kind of surprised this released this album um this month uh followed it up with a well fault followed it up that's not how that works uh came out with a advanced single maybe about a week before it released and then it was just like boom this album's out here it is now what's really interesting about this album is uh kind of the context around this album and it's very important to know this context when you're listening to it because it, it kind of changes the way that you hear it so the way this album was made um back in 2021 jade and his uh you know guitarist slash best friend slash cousin this guy named tavish maloney uh, they decided to rent out a studio for a month and just go and like basically live in the studio and just write some songs together and kind of like see what happens, you know, and like crank out some songs, start to shape out a new record for Oso Oso. So they went and, you know, it was just like two bros hanging out in the studio, having a great time, um, you know writing songs in between, you know, fucking around and like smoking up and drinking and just like partying and just like generally hanging out, you know, just two dudes who, you know, respect each other and love each other, hanging out, having a good time, writing music. So they cut uh, the demos for this album while at the studio. They wrote them there and then they, they kind of recorded the demos as well. Um, 
and then they the plan was okay we've got these demos let's take a month or two off and then we'll go back to the studio and we'll kind of polish up these songs and uh, that'll be the next Osa Osa record a few weeks after they left the studio initially um, Tavish died so the guy who Jade considered his best friend, his confidant, the guy who he wrote and recorded all these songs with in that studio over that month period was gone. And that was it. So I think in a very understandable move in in tribute to his best friend who he just lost, uh, Jade just said, listen, I this is the album now. So he sent the demos to go and get mixed and mastered, and here we have Sore Thumb. And in many ways, you listen to it, and you can really hear the fact that a lot of these songs are still in their demo form. Like, yeah, the the mixer and masterer did a great job of, you know, turning these into full-fledged songs, and, uh, you know, for the most part, they all sound great. But, you know, there are moments where you can kind of hear, well, you know, maybe this melody wasn't fully fletched out yet, or, you know, maybe the lyrics needed some work here. Or, like, you know, in the case of, like, a full song, like the second last song in the album, Nothing Says Love Like Hydration, it's like, this is kind of a joke song that they probably recorded as a joke. Um, Would this song have necessarily made that final cut if they had gone and recorded again? Probably not, but none of that matters. Um, what matters is we have this album now as it is, and this, this is what the album is, you know? It's the sound of uh, two guys having fun, hanging out, and, and, and writing great songs. And even if these songs are kind of underdeveloped in some ways, they're still just fantastic songs and they really speak to um what an amazing songwriter jade and tav were when they worked together because for what is essentially a collection of demos i'd say the record easily holds up to any of the other osa osa records or state lines records that uh, jade the band jade was in before so it's a testament to the prowess of these guys songwriting it's a testament to the joy of, you know, just hanging out with people that you love and respect. And I mean, I can't even imagine what it must be like for Jade to revisit these songs. Um, knowing that this is kind of the last record of the time that he spent with his best friend in the whole world. Um, it's, it's really heavy shit, but it's not like one of those records where the specter of death is kind of hanging over the whole thing. Um, like that Injury Reserve record from last year where, you know, one of the guys who's on the album passed away shortly after it was recorded and you can kind of, in a way, see it coming or, or, or hear that impending doom on the album. No, like this is a... It's definitely a weirder and more out there record for Osa Oso, incorporating a lot of, you know, like strange sounds that they haven't really used before, like 
lots of almost like honky-tonk piano and and like whistling hooks and all this kind of stuff um, but it, it retains that same kind of sense of joy and that occasional sense of melancholy that all of his songs have um, yeah so it's 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 a great record it's a record that is interesting because you know that it could have been better but you also don't want it to have been better because what it is is more important than what it could have become if that makes any sense so coming in at number three Oso Oso Sore Thumb um, rest in peace Tavish Maloney you will be sorely missed uh, little Sore Thumb joke there and Jade man I, I, I hope you're doing alright I, I don't really know what else to say um, should be interesting to catch you on tour next time and see how playing these songs goes because I couldn't do it personally I couldn't do it so the ridiculous made up genre of the day for this record we're gonna go with friend rock why not friend rock Okay, we're gonna do the mentions now. Um, oh, I should have mentioned too, uh, speaking of mentioning things, I still am not able to access my original audio files uh, for the PH5. So things still kind of sound a little bit weird in this episode. I'm so sorry, I don't know what the heck. My hard drive is not connecting to my computer, and I just really don't have time to figure this stuff out. Otherwise, I, I'm, I'm honestly barely able to squeeze in these podcast episodes these days, so... Uh, sorry about that. But anyway, here are the mentions. These are the mentions. So, let's start off with the dishonorable mention. Okay, so... The dishonorable mention for March 2022 is Melt My Eyes, See Your Future by Denzel Curry. So, Mr. Curry, Mr. Curry, definitely had one of my favorite hip-hop albums of the 2010s with uh, Taboo, which was a record that came out, I don't know, a few years ago, doesn't matter. Um, Few releases before this one for him, um, before then, he was kind of a member of that South Florida, um, like, rage rap, uh, Raider Clan adjacent movement. Like, SoundCloud rap, basically, um, with a really blown out bass. Um, you, you know who I'm talking about, all that kind of stuff. But that album saw him kind of turning a new leaf and uh, becoming more of, like, an artist's rapper. Um, the album had, you know, distinct sections for distinct themes, um, and really saw him embrace, like, a melodic side that showed that he was, you know, one of the most melodically gifted rappers in the game right now. Uh, just so many great songs on that record, and it still managed to keep a lot of his kind of hype, punky energy, especially in the last few songs of the record. Um... 
The year after that, he released Zoo, which was kind of an ode to uh, an ode to Florida, the state where he's from. And that was another great record. It was definitely a less lower stakes than Taboo was, but tons of great songs, tons of great energy, um, kind of like a lot of throwback sounds, like 90s rap, kind of like bling era rap. Um, but again, just showing him uh, showcase his sense of melody and his, his, his real like song craftsmanship on that record as well. So after Taboo and Zoo, uh, Denzel quickly became one of my favorite rappers. And then they released uh, Unlocked, which was a collaboration with Kenny Beats. And I know the whole idea of it was that it was supposed to be just like extremely low stakes. Like, I think they like literally recorded it in like a day or two or something like that. And that's fine, but I, I still found it to be pretty underwhelming. Um, and kind of like lessened his uh, place in my hierarchy of rappers right now. Made me a little bit less excited for him. So when he announced that, you know, his next like full length, like quote unquote serious album was coming out this year. Um, well, he announced it a long time ago, but been kind of really building a pipe towards this year's uh, album. I wasn't like that excited for it, but Denzel is still someone I will always check for, you know, based off of uh, Taboo and Zoo. So, you know, I went into this record curious and not necessarily um, expecting a lot, but definitely interested to see this new direction that he'd be going in. And it is absolutely a new direction for him. Um, it's a lot kind of calmer and introspective than a lot of his past records. It's definitely him trying to make, uh, you know, a big impact album, kind of in the sense of, you know, something like Kendrick Lamar would make. You know, apparently he was really influenced by Kendrick Lamar coming into making this album, and um, you can see that even the fact that he had a lot of these session musicians that worked on To Pimp a Butterfly in for these sessions for this album too. The only kind of problem is that this isn't exactly what Denzel is good at. Um, Kendrick can do it and achieve it because he's a very smart, very talented guy and he, he understands his audience. He understands, you know, I can make this kind of quote-unquote highbrow hip-hop and people will eat it up, people will love it because I have the substance to back it up and get away with it, you know? Um, like you think back to To Pimp a Butterfly and it was a wildly ambitious album, but what really helped was the fact that, you know, all the songs on it were pretty solid, you know? Lots of great hooks, you know, memorable lines memorable moments everywhere and that's what you need if you want to try and pull off like a big you know um capital e event hip-hop album unfortunately denzel falls pretty short uh pretty short here on his attempt um i very much respect him going for a more mature sound um, a softer more organic sound and um 
I think some of the rapping subject matter is uh, some of the most interesting that he's ever released because we're really getting to take a look inside of Denzel and, and, and inside of what goes on in his mind and what his life has been all about. It's a lot more biographical than a lot of his other albums. The problem is what's going on musically is just not captivating enough for you to really want to pay attention to any of it. Um, I've listened to this record through maybe four times now, and I, I couldn't really tell you like a single hook or a single anything that really happened on this album. Um, while it's on and you're listening to it, it sounds great, it sounds nice, you know? But then when it's over, you're kind of like, oh, um, I don't really know what just happened. You know, I, I don't really remember anything. And I've, I've tried going back to it a few times, and it's the same thing every time. So, I think that melody and just writing memorable songs is something that Denzel is so good at, but he's not really doing any of it here. Which is a shame, because if he had applied some of his penchant for melody and songwriting to the songs in this album, he might have gotten away with having, you know, this, like I mentioned, like a capital E event album that he was so clearly going for. Um, it's like he's got like 70% of the ingredients here for it, but those extra 30 are really the ones that will make or break it, and it's, it's just not quite there. Um, luckily, Denzel is still quite young. Um, I think he's only like 25 or 26 or something like this. So he's still got time to figure it out, um, you know, kind of go back, retreat, retool, rethink his approach. And I think in maybe a few years, he'll be able to successfully put out a record that achieves what he's trying to do. But for now, I mean, his two main standout things that set him apart from other rappers are his penchant for melody and his energy. And neither of those features are on this album, unfortunately. And that just kind of makes it unmemorable and the whole thing falls flat. So coming in at my dishonorable mention for March 2022, we have Melt My Eyes, See Your Future by Denzel Curry. Coming in at the mention for the month of March, we have Crash by Charlie XCX. So, this has been maybe one of the more confusing pop album rollouts I can think of. The way that Charlie has kind of approached this rollout and approached her fans and approached the music and everything has been a little bit baffling. Um, it's kind of hard to tell if she even cares about the songs on this record or not. Um, the whole lead up to it, she's been toying and playing with this idea of, oh, this is my sellout record, you know, like, this is me, like, writing an album as like a, you know, a label contract obligation kind of thing. And it's been really hard to determine whether she's just kind of fucking with us or if this is actually what she feels towards the music. 
And the songs on the album don't really help clarify that one way or the other either. Um, it definitely contains her most, uh, we'll say, mainstream sounding pop efforts. Uh, and, uh, you know, technically a batch of great songs. Like, you listen to the, the record and all of them are quite catchy. You know, some of them are really great songs and, and you know some of them are even some of the best that she's ever done um, but it's missing a ton of her more experimental side which I think is kind of the thing that most Charlie fans like about her the most um, you know pop stars are a dime a dozen but she's always been willing to push the boundaries of what pop does um, and you see that with her work with um A.G. Cook and all the other PC music people, um, you know, which kind of reached its zenith with uh, Number One Angel and Pop 2 back in 2018. And it, it, it just, it's weird because she's not really being that part of herself on this record. She's playing the part of the pop star. Which, I mean, respect to her, I'm sure after, you know, years of kind of toil in the underground, she's pretty eager to achieve the next level of fame, you know? Um, she's released tons of albums at this point, she's been around for, like, geez, at least a decade. Um, and, you know, she still hasn't quite reached that crossover status yet. So I understand her wanting to kind of go for it, and... A lot of the songs on this album see her kind of going for it in that sense. But again, her attitude leading up to it is, is confusing because it's like, are you actually going for it or is this just another kind of like artistic statement on being mainstream and selling out? I'm not too sure. And the whole kind of impression that the album and the, the rollout of the album has given me is I don't think she's really sure either. And so we're left with this kind of album that's caught in between being a mainstream crossover, but also like a farce of a mainstream crossover. And it just leaves you kind of confused. And I think it's really exemplified by how the album ends. Um, Charlie is all about, you know, like, like, a lot of her last songs are, you know, some of her best songs and her most epic songs. Like, think of track 10 from Pop 2. Like, maybe her best song. But the last song on this album, I don't even know what it's called. It's kind of very unmemorable, and the album just kind of stops. And you're kind of like, oh, wait, that's it? And I think, I think that basically sums it up. With this whole album, it's kind of like, oh, wait, that's it? Um... I'm not really sure what she was trying to do here. I'm not sure she was sure what she was trying to do here. And it just, it, it, it's kind of confusing. Um, yeah, you know, there are great songs in the album. Um, Beg For You with uh, Rena is amazing. Um, the first song, Crash, is fun few other songs in there that are great too but overall it's just uh it's i'm just confused i'm not sure what she's trying to be anymore and i don't know if she's sure either so coming in at the mention for march 2022 
is Crash by Charlie XCX. The honorable mention for March 2022 is the album God Carrier by the band Lack the Low. So this was a brand new band that I'd never heard of before. Um, I don't know if they're brand new. They're brand new to me. Um, and I just kind of checked this album out on a whim. And it's, it's a very, very interesting album. It's definitely a pop record, but experimental in ways that you don't necessarily expect. Um, this whole idea of experimental pop now, you can you almost kind of already know what you're hearing. There's a... When you think of experimental pop, basically it all gets shoehorned into hyper-pop nowadays. You know, you're getting your squeaky vocals, your weird production that, you know, oscillates between sounding metallic and plastic. Um, yeah, just very PC music-inspired stuff. And that has kind of taken over what we on mass consider experimental pop these days. But this takes this idea and moves it in a completely different direction. Um, it's it's pop music in that it, you know, has, again, verse, chorus, melodies, whatnot. But they aren't afraid to veer off into just strange territory. Um, a lot of the sounds on here, a lot of the songs kind of oscillate between different modes and uh, this is something that I only kind of picked up on because I went to uh, you know music engineering school last year I, I didn't even know modes were a thing but basically what it is it, it's different um, different scales and different notes that are kind of used in different settings and different uh, you know, almost environments across the globe. Like, uh, for example, you know, here in North America, we use musical notes and scales that are completely different from the scales that get used in, you know, Southeast Asia or, you know, Eastern Europe, things like this. So what they do is they take this kind of tr almost traditional North American pop, but they aren't afraid to mix in these different modes of music from different places across the globe. And it's not like global pop in the sense of what we think of global pop now, like, you know, reggaeton or, um, you know, African pop and stuff like this that has really come to infiltrate the airwaves. Um, it's just like it's almost as though they're taking the pop music of more traditional cultures and um, integrating into their own um, North Americanized take on it, which they have to be very careful with because appropriation is a you know still a discussion that is happening in, in critical circles, and they could be very easily accused of appropriation with this record if they weren't careful with it. But it's all done very tastefully. And you're kind of left with this short, sweet um, concept of what the future of pop music can sound like. You know, the world gets more and more globalized as each day passes. And, you know, I mean, look at the prevalence of K-pop here in North America now. Like, it's 
just as big as regular pop, basically, despite the fact that, you know, it originates in a country that is literally, like, thousands and thousands of miles away. So, this could be the future of pop. As we, as, as the internet grows and we are able to kind of pick up on uh, smaller and smaller kind of subcultures of, of art and begin to integrate them into our own pre-existing notions of what art and music can sound like, we might hear a lot more uh, acts like Lack the Low make music like this. So I think it's exciting. It's an exciting, fresh, new sound. I haven't heard anything quite like it. And I mean, hilariously enough, like there's a lot of pop records that I'm talking about this month, and this is definitely the most unique of all of them. So coming in at the honorable mention for March, 2022, we have God Carrier by Lack the Low. These are the mentions. Okay, so let's finish this off, folks. Let's do it. Um, we're probably going to go over an hour again today, but I mean, that's the standard now. We're all comfortable with that. We all go into PH5 knowing exactly what we're getting ourselves into. But my voice is also starting to go. So <laughs> I could sit here and talk all day, but I physically don't think I can. So let's, let's think about wrapping this up. So, number two for March 2022 is the album Motomami by Rosalia. So, Rosalia is everyone's favorite Catalan Spanish queen. <laughs> uh, she kind of burst onto the scene a few years ago with her debut record Los Angeles, which was Kind of like a, a more traditional um, flamenco style record. Um, but she really made waves with El Mal Carrer. And while I just, let's get this out of the way. Um, I don't speak Spanish. I'm, and this is a Spanish artist. So uh, I'm going to butcher every pronunciation that I try to do. So just, just, let's just, let's just accept it. Get your laughs in about it now so that we can just move on. Okay, laugh, laugh, laugh. Okay, great. So El Mal Carrer came out in, I believe it was 2018. And yeah, it made huge ways for her as this kind of flamenco record that wasn't afraid to integrate more modern pop sounds into it. And that's kind of where she really made noise was this was an artist taking very traditional Spanish music like flamenco music and, you know, inducing it with more modern pop sensibilities with songs like, uh, you know, that integrate reggaeton into them as well as flamenco, as well as just um, kind of more modern production techniques. Um, I, w I was a huge fan of that record, which is surprising because again, I, I'm not exactly someone who uh, grew up on flamenco and I don't speak Spanish, but she really crafted an amazing album and the songs, regardless of, you know, whether or not I understood exactly what she was saying, the songs were still great and you can't deny a great song regardless of what language it's in. So that was a while ago and here she is, she's back again. Uh, she's only had kind of more mainstream fame as time has gone on. She's had collaborations with James Blake, 
Um, she was on a remix of a Travis Scott song. And, uh, you know, in the pre-advanced single for this album, included a feature by none other than The Weeknd, uh, yeah, singing in Spanish. He does a pretty good job of it, I'm not gonna lie. He sounds convincing, I'm convinced. And, again, like, he grew up in Scarborough, like, I lived right beside Scarborough, um, he, he must have had to take some lessons because it's not a very Spanish area, I'll tell you that much. So... Here we are with Motomami, and I would say it is one of the most fascinating pop records of the year so far, if not the most fascinating. Um, I was tempted to do a little, uh, you know, album of the year contender, like, um, thing for this one, because my first initial few times that I listened to it, I was just so fascinated by it and found the whole thing to be just amazing and I thought hey maybe this could be an early album of the year contender um I've kind of cooled off on it a little bit I still think it's incredible I don't really think it will end up anywhere near that top spot for me this year but I do really really enjoy this album and I think it is just something special uh not just kind of for me but I think it's something special for um Latin music in general because and I I want to preface this by saying I'm coming from a place of complete ignorance. I am not someone who knows anything about Latin music. So this is what I perceive when I listen to this album and these are my thoughts on music as I know it, but I am not the expert here. I am not claiming to be and what I'm saying could be wrong. You know what? In fact, it's likely wrong. But this is what I'm kind of getting from this album. This album sees her kind of taking a huge leap towards um, pure kind of futuristic pop. Um, but through the lens of Latin pop. So she almost entirely ditches flamenco here. I think there's one flamenco song on here. And even that song is is kind of experimental and, um, you know, forward-thinking in its approach to flamenco music. Uh, otherwise, the album almost reads as, like, almost like, and this is going to sound bizarre, but almost like a Yeezus-esque take on reggaeton. In that it, it uses the base of reggaeton as it's, again, like the base of its structure, but it, it kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Not dismembers, <laughs> that's too intense. But I'm gonna use it anyway. It dismembers reggaeton down to its kind of singular parts and essences and strips them away and creates something almost new um, from the ingredients of the genre. And again, in much of a way that Yeezus did back in the day with hip-hop and industrial. Um, and it just shows how bold and brave Rosalia is. And I find it really interesting that she's chosen to take this really forward-thinking musical approach on what is by far her most personal album. Um, so, one of the nerdiest things that I've done this month is, again, I don't speak Spanish, so I uh, 
put this album on from start to finish, uh, lit up a nice little dube, and uh, I just read along with the lyrics and the lyric translations for this entire album, start to finish. And it's something I recommend everyone do, because so much of her personality shines through in this album that obviously you're not going to understand if you don't understand the words that she's saying. But Rosalia is a very charming and honestly very funny person. Um, it's a pretty funny record. She's got a great sense of humor. Um, again, a great sense of melody. And just her voice is so special. Um, you kind of heard her do some virtuistic vocal exercises a lot more on El Mal Carrere, just because that particular style of music, flamenco, um, caters more to being more virtuistic um, in your approach. Uh, and you, you do hear a lot on the one flamenco song on this album, but across the whole record, she just sounds absolutely incredible. Um, she's able to hit any notes she wants at will with ease. Um, she can also, like, eat the shit out of a beat, you know? Like, her rapping is incredible. Um, and the song ends with, uh, it sounds like a live performance. And, uh, the notes and, and the soprano that she hits in this song, the emotion that just bleeds through her words, is really special. So, even if you don't understand what she's saying, it's very impactful. So, just the way that she's able to incorporate all of these fascinating, futuristic, ahead-of-the-curve production techniques with this really vulnerable, emotional, and personal side of her, um, it's really special. It's, uh, it's something that, you know, I haven't heard a lot of pop stars of any culture do recently. And um, I think it's a huge... Uh, step forward for Latin music in general, just kind of being this experimental with your approach and being able to pull it off so successfully. Um, I, I think what she's been able to achieve here is just absolutely amazing. So, coming into number two, we have Rosalia Motomami. Okay, and I realized I didn't give a ridiculous made-up genre for Rosalia, did I? Um, mm, see, that could veer into some pretty questionable territory pretty quick, uh, seeing as how uh, I just am not entirely familiar with uh, Latin music. So, you know what? We'll, we'll leave that one alone. Um, hey, why don't you... Uh, it drop some suggestions in the comments. Yeah, that's right. I'll put it on you guys instead of on me. So, coming in at number one for the month of March 2022, we have Diasporic Problems by Soul Glow. Okay. This is a absolute motherfucking flamethrower of a record. Um just wow easily the most invigorating energetic hardcore punk record i've heard in a long long time so um yeah uh 
basically they make a brand of you know hardcore punk that you know flirts with metallic influences and occasionally flirts with emo influences but what makes them special um three-fourths of the members of this band are black and they like to incorporate a lot of um hip-hop and uh almost kind of soul-like instrumentation at times into their music and what makes this record really really special is just how seamlessly the genre integrations of hip-hop and these other predominantly black genres are into this hardcore record a rec a genre again which is predominantly white um it's definitely a huge breath of fresh air for the genre um bringing a much needed new perspective uh not only musically but you know vocally and lyrically to the genre um the front man is great at doing this kind of almost rapped scream and as a result you you get this album that has over 5,000 lyrics in it from start to finish um this is definitely their their kind of reach for the stars um big record it's not like a lot of hardcore records these days which you know kind of hover around the 20-25 minute mark and like that's your full-length record no this one goes past 40 minutes um the songs are beefy, you know, they have um, significant song structures to them. It's, you know, there are the kind of few quick in and out songs that hardcore is so fond of, but um, a lot of these songs are really meticulously put together. And again, this kind of new perspective on the genre um, just makes it a really, really fresh, captivating, um, sometimes, you know, funny listen. Like, for example, the album starts with uh, the sound of a bong rip emulating the, uh, like, 21st century fox. You know, like the... Anyway, you know, that first little, like, drum roll bit, it, the album starts with, uh, like, bong noises emulating that. It's just funny, you know? It's, it's funny and kind of sets the tone for... Um, a record that is, um, you know, acerbic as well as irreverent. Um, and again, I really need to kind of bring up the fact that there are so many lyrics on this album because of the way that uh, the vocalist approaches the kind of vocal uh, take on this kind of hardcore. Um, very fast, kind of rapid-fire delivery and, and really, really shrieky screams and there are a few songs on this record that veer into almost straightforward hip-hop with features um you know rapping and spitting bars but then veering back into hardcore at the same time and it's a it's a very eclectic mix of genres that they pull off absolutely seamlessly and they've been doing this for a few albums now um a few kind of full lengths, a few EPs, but this is definitely the record where they just absolutely nail the sound that they're going for. Um, a lot of people like to categorize Soul Glow as like political hardcore, but 
the frontman, he prefers to kind of call it emotional hardcore, and this kind of begs an interesting question. So a lot of the lyrics on this album are political lyrics, but we need to remember that the lyrics, the frontman is a black man in America, and he's dealing with issues that black people are facing. And a lot of those issues are based on, you know, issues with politics and social issues and whatnot. And it just goes to show you that, you know, when it comes to, you know, classifying things, we we do it differently depending on who, uh, like who the person that we're trying to classify is. For example, what I'm trying to get at here, you have like, you're like what, like 99% of all the hardcore bands out there are, you know, they're white dudes and they're, you know, singing songs about, you know, relationships and, you know, having these bad lives and stuff. And we call that emotional, you know? It's emotional, it's talking about, you know, talking about hardships, but like, like, you know, talk about white people hardships, you know? Like, oh, you know, like, this girl doesn't like me, you know? Or like, you know, my, my, my parents sucked during childhood, you know? And, and to us, that's, that's, you know, that's emotional. But then a black person starts talking about all the problems that he faces in life and all of a sudden because this is a black person doing it, it's all of a sudden it's political. But that's not fair because it's still in a very emotional process for these people to deal with. Um, so why is it that we have to automatically label um, anything that black people do when they talk about the hardships that they face in life as political. Whereas when a white person talks about the hardships they face in life, we're not calling any of that shit political, you know? That's emotional. So it just kind of goes to show the way that we approach people differently and, and, and the different labels that we put upon different people and the different... Um, outlets that they prescribe to um so i just found that very interesting like yeah like a you know like a, a black person being emo is them talking about you know issues with race and racism and, and you know class and stuff like that but a white person being emo is being like oh man like you know that girl doesn't like me, that sucks. Uh, it's still emo, but I, I you know, we, we just are so inclined to label this as political, and, but when we do that, we, we need to realize that we're almost dehumanizing um, the emotional experience um, that these black artists are going through, you know? If we we, we categorize and frame this discourse and this lyrical content as political, we're taking away from the fact that there are very real emotions behind all of these issues and these experiences that these lyrics are pertaining to. Um, so yeah, I mean, it certainly is political, but 
we also need to respect the fact that it's very, very personal. This is something that, you know, these issues are being faced with every single day on an ongoing basis. And there's a lot of kind of snippets of commentary throughout the record that allude to this and talk about this kind of stuff. The whole idea being like, you can't prescribe my lived experience for me. Um, and I think that's what, you know, really makes this album special and unique is it's, it's a brand, almost like a brand new type of emo in that it's emo about real substantial issues, issues that we normally call political issues. Um, but we're seeing it on like a hyper personal level. And we're seeing how these issues affect the individual and it makes them prone to depression and feeling suicidal and stuff like this. So, anyway, I just thought that was a really, really kind of fascinating discussion about this record. You know, like, what's, what's really the difference between political and emotional lyrical content? Why do we prescribe this set of lyrics as political why do we prescribe this as emotional when there are very real emotions tied up in politics and you know is it fair to label them one way and label it another i don't know i don't know it's an interesting discussion um but regardless of the kind of going deep into this kind of thing i mean this record, you don't need to think that deep into it to enjoy it. I mean, this is definitely... I was talking before about how that Error Zone record by Vane became my go-to gym record. This is now my go-to gym record, for sure. Uh, it is so high energy from start to finish. Um, it just kicks so much ass in a way that no record I've heard yet this year has. So... Um, I'm not going to say this is a early album of the year contender for me, but I would be shocked if this doesn't land somewhere in the top 10 for sure. It is a refreshingly real, refreshingly different take on what emotional hardcore really is. Yeah, cool. So coming in at number one for the month is Soul Glow with diaspora problems and the ridiculous made-up genre of the day is emo politics that's right folks emo politics so thank you again for tuning in for yet another episode of ph5 um kind of annoyed i know no one really reads pitchfork anymore but like a whole bunch of the albums that i wanted to pick for this month they ended up picking as best new music folks i assure you i am not basing ph5 on pitchfork's picks and even the fact that i'm bringing this up is more of an indictment of my own insecurities i think about uh you know my validity as a quote-unquote music critic um so you know what let's just forget i ever said that <laughs> They can do what they want, and I'll do what I want. And there's no connection between any of us. Thank you again. Have a great April 
we'll talk at the end of it. Um, hopefully it warms up. And for the love of God, I know they're telling you you don't have to, but keep wearing a mask. This pandemic is not over yet. In fact, it's probably about to be worse than it ever has been. And the government is going to do a really hard job of hiding that from you guys. So uh, stay woke, folks. Thank you so much. Phil May, PH5. I'm